Professional caregivers describe hospice as the best place you don't ever want to be. I'm UT Tyler Radio News Director Mike Landis. To find out more about Hospice of East Texas, UT Tyler Radio connects with volunteer coordinator Marlene Elkins. Give us an overview of the program if you would. Hospice of East Texas is a nonprofit hospice, and we have, we're the oldest and largest nonprofit hospice here in East Texas. And so, of course, the care is for end of life, and that's if um, a person's terminal illness would end in death in six months or less, but we do so much more. So we certainly provide the hospice care. We also provide an extensive bereavement department available to anyone that needs us. Their loved one need not be on our service. Uh, We have a huge volunteer department. Right now, we probably have about 165 volunteers. We were started by volunteers over 41 years ago. One of our original founders, volunteers, is still a volunteer for us. So we have um, a great connection, not only with Tyler, Smith County. We, We serve 23 counties here in East Texas. We do provide, like I said, the extensive hospice care. Hospice care provides, of course, a nurse um, aides if the family would like that. They also can have a chaplain. They can have a volunteer, which is where I come in. I'm a volunteer manager for hospice. Uh, We have um, so much under our volunteer umbrella. Because we are a nonprofit, we pretty much step in to help where we're needed. One of the unique programs is our Pet Peace of Mind it's, it is only available to nonprofit hospices, and that is where we can get help for the pets, either vet help or food, and help with finding adoption after the person passes away. That's something that a lot of people wouldn't think about until you see an ad saying, the owner passed away, can you take this cat, can yes. you take this dog, that sort of a thing. Yes. Really nice to know. Yes. Uh, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, was in hospice uh, here in East Texas at, at your facility. And one of the things I was so impressed with was that they wanted to make her feel as comfortable and to have things around her that felt familiar. Uh, I personally hung up one of her pictures up on the wall there, which was something that meant a lot to her. It was uh, painted by a friend. And I, I remember having seen, I got to see her on a Sunday. I was working in another, so I was working in Atlanta and I had to fly back and I got to see her um, on a Sunday and ended up, um, she ended up passing two days later. Mm-hmm. But I was so thankful for that setting for her to be cared for right up until the very end, until her very last breath. Uh, it, it's something that, uh, a lot of baby boomers are now facing this with uh, sometimes mm-hmm. with a, fam- a close family member, a parent, uh, sometimes even a spouse. And I wonder how is it? How do you you find the funding for that? Is that like a United Way or Tyler Gives or how does that work? We care for um, anyone that needs our care, regardless of their ability to pay. So if someone is not funded, means they don't have private insurance, Medicare, Medicaid. We still take care of them. And that funding is done through, of course, our development department. We do have a Hospice of East Texas Foundation, so our funds are managed really well. Uh, We just completed our annual Light Up a Life campaign, which is what um, many people look forward to giving every year at Light Up a Life uh, during that time of the year. They can give in honor or in memory of somebody and those funds, of course, go towards the non-funded care. 
We accept funding throughout the year. We have two hospice shops, one in Henderson, one in Nacogdoches. If anyone wants to donate, we can take donations here at our, you know, across the street at our campus. Uh, we also, many people will, um, in the obituary, uh, make mention of Hospice of East Texas. So those donations come in that way. Much of our donations come from families that have had our services. And I wondered if, if volunteers also come from that, that particular aspect of it. They helped a particular family. The family feels like, I'd like to give back. Yes, and I love this part of it. I love working with the volunteers. Many of our volunteers have had a loved one on our service. We ask them to wait one year uh, because of all of the emotions someone does encounter that first year. And after that first year, if they still desire to come on as a volunteer, uh, we really uh, it, encourage them to do so. And they have many roles they can fulfill. That's important for us to find the right fit because they'll be happier and feel successful. It is a calling. I have not had a volunteer yet that has not told me at one point, I'm called to do this. I will add the other volunteers that we do get and are very successful are our students. We have students uh, from the UT Tyler campus. We have nursing students, uh, pre-med students. And that has been a joy to work alongside those students. Um, they have told me the ones that have gone on uh, either to med school or on to nursing have told me the value, the valuable lessons they learn, empathy. One, one important aspect that many of them ask me, how do we learn empathy? And I know there's a lot of research into that. And I do believe we can teach empathy. Uh, I am very empathic, but um, all of them have said it was that first patient that they sat with and, and were just present. Uh, the power of being present for someone is phenomenal. And so it's, it's a joy to have. We can uh, have volunteers at the age of 18. Uh, the oldest volunteer I'm aware of, I'm trying to think, is at least 90. Mm. And yes, 90-year-olds are as vibrant as an 18-year-old when they're fulfilling their purpose in life. When you're talking about volunteers, what are the aspects of, what are the fields where they can volunteer? What, what specific kinds of tasks can they volunteer for? So we have our campus across the street. That's, we call that home place. It is our inpatient facility and also all of the offices here we have in Tyler. Uh, the inpatient facility is beautiful and is a lovely place. If anyone ever would like a tour, we do give tours. It's open and it does feel like home, feels like home place. And again, the care is not only for the patients, but for the family. And families can come and stay. So we have several volunteer roles on our campus here. In addition to that, we do have volunteers that take care of our hospice shops. So we do have managers, but under that, the rest of that work is done by volunteers. I'm over the volunteers that do the direct home care visits. So when a patient comes on hospice, they are offered a volunteer. And if that family would like a volunteer, my role is to call them, find out what the need is, and then assign an appropriate volunteer. So yes, the volunteers can actually be part of our care team, go in, not give medical care, but think about social isolation, think about not only for the patient, but also for the caregiver. Oftentimes, they have dropped out of society. They may have gone along on a long illness journey. And having another person separate from family to talk to and listen to you is 
phenomenal. And the volunteers can go in the nursing homes. A lot of times those patients don't have a lot of family around. Uh, We do have a society where people move around a lot, so they can help alleviate that loneliness. And then it's building a relationship. They build a friendship at the speed of light and the end of life when most people have lost friendships and have kind of faded away from society, those volunteers go in and embrace life. And again, it, it hospice care is about quality of life. A lot of people, we're not focusing on, and we're focusing on quality of right now and ministering in different needs, if, whether it's financial, social, was where those volunteers come in, uh, pain, pain management, both physical, emotional pain, spiritual pain, our chaplains deal with that. But we do utilize volunteers in all those roles, and we will work to find a good fit for a volunteer when they come on board. I'm thinking that some volunteers, or Anna, you've said that there's a screening process, but even still, maybe a veteran volunteer at a point might feel like this is really overwhelming for me. Do they have any kind of care available to them? Is there a counselor that they can talk to? Yes. So, so we don't have counselors. We do have chaplains. chaplains. Uh, so we are, and Stacy Sanders is the director of our our chaplains and bereavement department. He's always available to set up appointments. He is also uh, his chaplains are available uh, with my home care volunteers, and that's where I do see quite. A, more stressors. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm available uh, for them just to come talk to. Uh, right. Sometimes just sitting down and sharing the story is what they need. Mm-hmm. If they need more, they can meet again with Stacy. A couple of times a year, I'll have um, an enrichment meeting just for my direct volunteers. Mm-hmm. And we have a closed door session. It's very much a group session. It's confidential where we can share. We can talk about, you know, the joys, but we can also talk about what had disturbed us in our visits. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do have Stacy provide a bereavement session just geared towards those direct volunteers. Mm. I'd like to have Stacy do that once a year, at least every other year. So we did have one a few months ago. So again, we're always available to support them. And um, sometimes a volunteer will need to take some time off. I have found this to happen They'll take a week or two off, and then they'll call me and say, I'm ready. Yeah, I am so ready to do this again. Yeah. So they're ready to give their hearts again. Yes, and, and that's that's truly, it, it, it is in fact a calling. I, I can't imagine it being anything else but mm-hmm. to have that kind of a heart to do that. I was also thinking in that socialization and, uh, and isolation of, of someone who's coming to the end of their life, if they're going into hospice, they know that this is the, the quality of the end of their life is what they would like to enhance. That's what you want to enhance. Do you have any any help for the families as they're trying to deal with this as they come toward the end? Yes. In fact, in hospice care, the patient and family are the center of the care. So we do tend not only to the patient, but to the family. And that it, that is everyone that is living in that home with that patient. Um, or if a patient is in a facility, sometimes it can even be for the facility staff that has grown very close to their resident. Uh, so what we provide uh, first and foremost is nurses, and nurses uh, provide a really great type of communication. They can take time to sit down with a caregiver and explain what's going on. We also have 
the AIDS. Uh, AIDS are unsung angels, our heroes. They do amazing care, and they know how to word things appropriately. Sometimes uh, a social worker, we also have the social workers. They can come in, and each person on the team has a unique take on how they might approach those, open those conversations. Social workers are really great at that, that part of it, helping people frame where they're at, what are your goals, what are your goals? Yes, we're still looking at goals. Uh, and then uh, the chaplains, if a family would like a chaplain, and oftentimes uh, people don't realize that a chaplain is coming in and meeting someone where they are spiritually. They're there to tend to that person and uh, administer them in their faith. They're not, they're not coming there as an advocate of, of a particular faith. They're not going to proselytize. They are there to be to be available. Yes, exactly. Uh, and I think in my world, I, I have a beautiful world because I work in the building with the development department and the chaplains, and I work with social workers and nurses. So at, at one point in our lives, we need one of those. But I am blessed by having chaplains in my life daily, mm-hmm. and I've used them myself. I'll be yeah, honest. Yeah. I've had some moments where I've had to say, okay, I'm not doing well, and I need, I need to cry. I need to process what's going on. Um, and then the volunteers, believe it or not, volunteer can come in and think about when we have a guest come in our house or a good friend. We will communicate with a friend very different than what we do with our own family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the caregivers often become really close to a volunteer and will share uh, their feelings, their emotions. And the, the volunteers... Uh, are especially I have some we have many long term volunteers we have some that have been with us for thirty years again one of our original is still um, volunteering over at home place uh, for my direct volunteers I would say thirty years that's a long a lot of experience yes. I learn from the volunteers sure. they teach me sure. and how they communicate between the patient and the caregiver and sometimes even help them start to communicate together Mm -hmm. and uh, not be so uncomfortable about sharing, you know, that end of life journey. But that is something that everyone on the team is very sensitive to. And if a volunteer sees some, maybe some spiritual struggle, that is not a role of a volunteer. They will let me know. I think this person would benefit from a chaplain Mm -hmm. or maybe they need a little more time with their social worker. I, We're really close. I can call the chaplain or the social worker and let them know, the nurse, what's going on, and they're on it. They'll get in there and and help them with it, help them with whatever they're struggling with. What are the goals for hospice over this next year? This next year, um, we have embraced the theme of everyday matters. And in that process, we are going back to the grassroots of what hospice care is. It is about encouraging people to embrace life, the life that we have. And, you know, if you think about it in the the big picture, every day matters. We saw the last few years what we went through, uh, many people having that traumatic loss mm-hmm. during during COVID. Um, we, every day does matter. We really don't know uh, when our time to leave is going to be. And so in that context, every day matters. And so we are really embracing what we do. And in the volunteer department, what we do is help people find 
if there's a small Make-A-Wish or a big Make-A-Wish, we try to make it happen. And so sometimes, like I mentioned, our pet program, the, someone knowing their pet will be adopted mm-hmm. out or get the vet care the, the pet needs. Uh, we had a recent Make-A-Wish. It was a young man, and his mother was his caregiver, a young adult male. And he um, wanted to stay in a hotel with a jacuzzi, and he wanted to get in that hot jacuzzi and stay in it for a long time and then get into the hot shower and then slip into hot sheets and just rest. So through our community connections, um, that's what I, I get to do, those type of things, but I love it. I love it. Community Connections was able to find a hotel with a um, jacuzzi. I now know where the jacuzzi room is in town, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, we were able, the nurse and myself met his mom and him there. It was so delightful to see someone laugh, joke. Yes, it was end of life. Yes. But we're, we're focusing on, is there something that you want to do and still make it happen? Right. And that's what we do. Every day does matter. And in, we want to make sure that there's something, some wish not left undone, if at all possible. Uh, but also just, um, like I said, focusing on each moment, the value of each moment, and making sure that the comfort is there, the comfort levels. That's what we're still focusing on this year. I'm glad to be part of that. Thanks for listening as UT Tyler Radio connects with Marlene Elkins, Volunteer Coordinator for Hospice of East Texas. To share, listen again, or for a transcript of this interview, visit our website, uttylerradio.org. To be notified about future episodes, subscribe to UT Tyler Radio Connects on your favorite podcast platform. For UT Tyler Radio News, I'm Mike Landis.